Now, if you remember that scene, if you've seen like that, you might wonder, wow, hopefully Chad's going to tell us that that guy's off base. That prayer you just heard was very similar to the prayers you find in the Bible. People who are angry at God, people who don't understand what God's doing, people who tell God, this seems wrong, this seems out of character, this just doesn't seem right. If you read the book of Lamentations, you'll be shocked at the things that Jeremiah says. God, you have targeted with me for pain. I feel like I have no comforter. And God, as an editor, didn't take that stuff out of the Bible. He knows that if you get honest with God, at some point you're going to need to get honest with your anger. And part of getting honest with God is letting him know when you're mad at what he's done and what he's not done. Mad at what's going on in the world, mad at how he's handling it, and God has got a chest big enough for us to beat on. And the grace of God gives you the ability to get honest with him about your anger. See, most of us have two bad options. You know, one option is we get angry, we look really nice on the outside, but inside we are angry. So we hide it. We cover up the fact that we're angry. But it's building. It's building. And pretty soon it comes out in a relationship with someone we care about. It's a coworker. It's a child. It's a parent. It's our spouse. And we blow up because we hid it for long enough. We didn't have a proper place to deal with our anger. So we hide it, hide it, hide it, hide it, hide it. And it blows up on people that we really care about. So one option is we hide it. The other option is we ride it. And some of us, we just if we're angry, everybody knows like, when we walk in a room. Then when we're doing good, everything seems fine. And we just ride our anger like a roller coaster. We're never in charge. We're just always at the mercy of our emotions. If we feel it, we say it, even if it leads to devastation around us. The Bible offers a third way. You don't hide it. You don't ride it. You confide it to God. Because many times emotions we feel, the rationale for feeling it, may or may not be accurate, but it is how we feel. God says, get real with me. Get it out with me. Let's sort it out together, you and me. Get honest with me. Beat on my chest, and I'll help you process through that. And here's why the grace of God is so phenomenal. See, the problem in that clip is he's still thinking that honoring God is about his works. See him bargaining with God? God, you should do this because of the good things I've done. The main message of the Bible is very different. It's that God in His grace loves us, forgives us for our past, present, and future. So you don't come to God with really anything worthy of negotiating. But because God forgives you of past, present, and future, you can come before God and say, God, I may not handle this right. I might not say this right. Thank you that you've forgiven me already for what I might say wrong. But i got to get honest. I'm angry about the way you're handling this. And as you confide your anger with God... As you sort it out through prayer, God begins to take the sting, the poison, helps you sort through why you're feeling what you're feeling. See, I don't know if you smell ketchup this morning. Smell ketchup? I smell ketchup. Maybe it's me. Yeah, it's me. Must have been that ketchup on the eggs this morning. See, many of us look good on the outside, but if you look underneath what happened this week, we're a mess. We've got anger issues, we've got stains all around us, and so what we do is we just pretend that we're not. We come to church and we look good, we go to work, we look good, we go to a social, we look good. Because dealing with our anger, it's embarrassing. 
It's embarrassing because you get vulnerable when you deal with your anger. You've got to tell people you're not really as nice as you look. You're not really as nice as you come across. Things don't fit quite as well. Things don't look quite as good. And God says part of getting honest with him is you've got to get vulnerable and honest. And so somebody points out the fact that you're angry, but you've been hiding it. No, I'm not. I'm not angry. You're just oversensitive. Okay. Well, you try and scrub it out yourself with your own good works, and it's not working. You've tried for years. You say, well, I guess I'm just Irish. I just get mad like this. Well, my dad just had a temper. And so we, we, we get good at hiding it from other people. But the people that know us best know that we have a problem. Prayer is a way at which we can get vulnerable and honest with God to begin to deal with our anger. It allows us to get objective when we see it. I was going to take my shirt off, but I know you guys couldn't handle that. <laughs> There'd be a rush of people on stage wanting to cover me up. So when you do take your anger off, a couple things happen. One, you do get vulnerable. You get into, why am I angry? Why is this a pattern? You begin to be able to see it objectively in prayer because you say things out loud and you say, wow, that is how I feel. Wow, that is the lie I'm believing. You get objective because now you can see it. You stop pretending it's not what it is. God's forgiven you, whatever it is. That gives you the environment to deal with the problem. I remember my friend Rob was having anger fantasies toward our boss. We had a mutual boss. And he just found himself at night angry at this. And I'm going to say this. And he'll say this. And I'll say this. And he would just work himself into a frenzy. He decided it was time to create an environment to deal with his anger. He sat down with our boss. He goes, I, I, I need to apologize to you. For what? He goes, I'm having these weird anger fantasies. I'm mad about some things you've done. I haven't handled it in, in a proper way. So I just find myself making up these fantasies of just how angry I am, what you're going to say. And, and my boss, to his credit, created an environment where they could begin to be honest about the issues that led to him getting so angry. It was pretty passive-aggressive. You didn't know from the outside he looked pretty good. And he began to work through that and it really changed their relationship. And I want to show you how prayer can do the same thing. You see, we lose our tempers when we don't know our temperature. We lose our tempers when we don't know our temperature. We we don't realize our temperature is getting higher and higher and it blows up. We we don't look behind what's going on to really deal with what's going on in our life. We lose our tempers when we don't know our temperature. And and this particular psalm we're going to look at today is a prayer in Psalm 109. And he is mad. And you can't believe this is honest. You can't believe he wrote it down. You can't believe God kept it in the book. It's so angry. And in this, it gives us four stages that we can go through in our prayers of anger. Burn, churn, yearn, and turn. Those are the four stages we're going to look at. I'm going to liken it to a washing machine. Because the thing about prayer is it's a lot like a washing machine. You're creating an environment, a safe place that you can deal with your anger, a safe place that you can churn, a safe place that you can burn, so that you get it out there, sort through what's real, so that it doesn't spill out into your other relationships with the people you care about. Or, or you find out, you know, this is a legitimate thing. I should be angry about this, and now I'm going to think about how I handle it. But God, prayer gives you an environment to deal with it in a way that it doesn't blow up later. So that's our first stage. I want you to notice what he does in Psalms 109. He begins, and man, he is mad. Psalms 109, we admit we burn. Do not keep silence, O God of my praise. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. Now this is David writing and he's saying there are some people who have lied to me. He feels very betrayed. They're deceitful. They, they have opened up against me. They've spoken against me with a lying tongue. They've also surrounded me with the words of hatred. They fought against me without cause. In return for my love, I treated them well, I did the right thing, I loved them, I cared for them. And they're my accusers, that's what I got for all my good deeds. 
And therefore, in all my anger and all my mad, I knew the right thing to do was to give myself to prayer. <laughs> His instinct is, I got to get my anger into a healthy place to deal with it. Thus, they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for love. Now, he's going to get a lot more honest than this. But he says, I'm angry right now. And I've got to sit down with God and say, God, I'm angry. I've got to figure out why I'm angry. I've got to figure out if it's legitimate why I'm angry. And I've got to get this all out to you so it doesn't spill out in inappropriate ways. And here's the key here. If you don't have an appropriate place, a healthy place to deal with anger, it will always come out in unhealthy ways. So notice what he says. Number one, when I get angry, I've got to pray. I've got to get to God and deal with it. Two, anger is not always bad. Many of us have been demonized because we think anger is bad. Anger is not bad. There are things to get angry about. There are appropriate things to be angry about. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, it says, be angry. But in your anger, do not sin. No, there's things to be angry about. Be angry. You've got to get angry. If you've been hiding it, pretending you're not, you need to expose something. You need to get some of that out. Be angry, but don't sin. How do you do that? Well, you create a proper environment to deal with your anger. You don't let the sun go down on it. You don't let it stew over time. Nor give place to the devil. Now, the man I say devil, you're like, oh, jeez. Here comes the guy in his pajamas again, the pitchfork. This sort of spooks me out about church. You mentioned the devil. So if the devil is just, that's too weird for you, just cross off the D right there. If you don't handle your anger properly, you're going to give a place for evil. A snare, a way in which these emotions, not handled properly, will cause evil in your job, in your career, with your family, with your friends. But it says, no, it says, be angry. Deal with your anger. Burn with God. It's okay to do that. And when you find a proper place to process your anger, you can get healthier. Most of us don't have a proper place to deal with anger, so we either hide it or we write it. And God says, I want you to confide it. You remember in Pretty Woman, Richard Gere's talking to uh, Julia Roberts, and uh, he finally blurts out, I'm very angry with my father. You know, it cost me $10,000 in therapy to say that. I am very angry with my father. Sometimes we need a counselor because it wasn't modeled for us. Sometimes we need prayer. Sometimes we need both. Sometimes we need a friend to walk us through it. But there's something incredibly rewarding and helpful about that whole process. So how do you clean a stain, especially a ketchup stain, out of a shirt? Well, you create a place that you can put it. And prayer is that place that if you're not getting honest with God... You don't have a place to put it. And the thing about cleaning up a white stain is what? You need not cold water. You need hot water, right? You need to get the hot water in there because the hot water is what is going to actually allow you to get the stains out of a white outfit. And many of us, the reason our prayers don't work is because the water's not hot enough. We pray prayers of platitude we're not i have, can't tell you how many times i prayed a prayer i said amen and i literally said to myself what was that that was so fake that was so not where i'm at and i'll start all over again god i'm ticked off right now and i'll turn up the temperature i'll turn up the water i'll say god i'm mad about this i'm disappointed about this i'm unhappy about this and i need your help because it's starting to Bill out in the way I handled the situation with Javen on the jet ski. I was so mad. It really wasn't about him or the fact that the jet ski broke down. It was the fact that I was balancing this. God, I need help here. So many of us, the reason our prayers don't work is uh, we haven't really created an environment to pray. But if we have, the water's not hot enough. The prayers aren't real enough. We're not getting honest enough with God. 
and turning up the temperature enough to really get that stuff out. To really let God know what's really going on in our lives. Because when you do, then you can begin to burn and let God process through your anger in a healthy way. Because God won't heal it if we will not feel it. A psychologist sat down with a girl named Stacy. She was in her 30s. She'd been married for 11 years. She wanted help because she was a new follower of Jesus, and she found her anger was a major problem in affecting her relationship with her kids, her friends. And she turned to the counselor and said, I want to get better at my anger. So let's go back in the past. What do you think contributed to these tendencies? I mean, did your family do anything that created this a system that would be hard for you? No, they didn't do anything. Well, but did your mom do anything? Nothing. Your dad? Nothing. Nothing would lead this? Nothing. Well, well tell counselor tried something else. Well, tell me about how you grew up. She says, well, my, my parents uh, started dating early on. They were early in high school. They were rebels. They were just crazy in love. They got married at 16, had my son. I had my brother. I had me when they were 17. They uh, just couldn't handle us. They weren't really handling the situation real well. So we got put in a, a foster home with a stepdad. The stepdad treated us terrible. I was raped. I was tortured for two years. The, my, I hated my stepdad. My biological father asked my stepdad to adopt me. He did. That's when things got even worse. I went from getting great grades to getting terrible grades. In those terrible grades, I eventually found myself lashing out with drugs, and I got into marijuana, and, and beyond that, I just really went downhill. But I met my husband when I was a freshman in high school. We dated and got married my junior year of high school. Started working at a video store that I managed, and uh, things went pretty well. We been married for 11 years. I became a Christian recently, and, uh, and things were fine. The counselor says, do you realize you talk about your past almost like a third person, as if it's not even you, just totally detached from it? No, I didn't notice at all. Did your mom or dad do anything to you that might be affecting your anger? No, nothing. He says, I just want help with my anger now. The counselor said, if you want help with your anger now, we've got to figure out what happened in the past. We've got to look at what you might be tethered to in the past that you need to deal with, that you need to process. And part of that is getting some of that anger out. Some of it will be appropriate, some not appropriate. But as you get it out, you can sort through it. That's the burning process. The second process is what I want to call the churn. We churn. Now, again, part of the, the, the process of creating an environment for clothes is you don't just pour water in. You've got that agitator in there that churns back and forth. I felt this, I thought this, maybe I felt this. Yeah, I was really mad about that. Well, I'm not sure. It's a churning, agitating process. And in prayer, many times that's what you're doing. Sometimes we journal it, sometimes we write it, but you're churning with God. Look at how the writer of Psalms 109 just churns. You cannot believe he's dishonest. In fact, let me read it in a spiritual, pious way before we read it the real way. So you come to church, today we have a reading from Psalms 109. Set a wicked man over him, and let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him be found guilty, and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless, and his wife a widow. Let his children continually be vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also from their desolate places. Amen. Now, do you see what he's saying? He is so mad that the people betrayed him. 
He is so mad at the people who deceived him. He is so mad at the people who treat him poorly when he loved them and cared for them. He wishes death upon that man and his family and his kids. This is a level of anger and hubris and honesty, like shocking. Here's what he's saying to that guy who betrayed me. I hope you set a wicked man over him. I hope he gets a horrible, wicked boss. I hope he gets an accuser that stands at his right hand and betrays him. When you judge him, I hope he gets found guilty of everything. Let his even prayers be sin. When he prays, you're like, I'm not listening to that. That's sin. Let his days be few. I hope he dies. Let another person take his office. Let his children be fatherless. Let his wife be a widow. Let his children continue to be vagabonds and beg. Yeah, yeah. Let them seek bread from desolate places. Oh, I hope the creditor sees all that he has. Let strangers plunder his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy to him. Yeah, yeah. Now, nor let there be any to favor his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off. And in the generation following, let their name be blotted out, that he may be cut off from the memory of all the earth. That's in the Bible. Now, this is important little biblical note here. The Bible has some portions that are descriptive and some that are prescriptive. So the Bible is not saying this is a good thing to feel. It's not saying this is a right thing to feel. It just said this is how he's feeling. And for him to sort through his anger, he had to get honest with God. I mean, that's honest with God. And as you process that, like, man, I do feel that way. That seems wrong. Wow. Where's that coming from? Oh, my goodness. I'm mad about it. Wow. But part of getting the stain out it's starting to admit where you're at. And if you don't understand the grace of God, if you haven't created the main, understand the main message of the Bible, that God creates an environment of grace to get honest, you're never going to get honest. You're going to pray prayers of platitude or not pray at all. But in the context of God's grace, you can be real honest. I do hate that man. I know I shouldn't, but I hate him. I am so hurt. I wish terrible things upon him. God, something's broken in me. But I'm, mad. I'm that mad. And in the process of that agitation and that churning... God is beginning to get the stains out. We've got to burn and we've got to churn with God. We've got to get through that process with Him if we want to start getting free from these stains. Now, is it okay for God to judge? Well, don't sometimes we hear statements like, what about the evil in the world? Why doesn't God do something about that? What are you saying? You're saying you wish God would judge quicker. Then the next sentence you say, well, loving God wouldn't judge. Well, which do you want? In the Bible, you find the perfect balance, a God who does judge evil, and yet he waits as long as he can so that all would turn to him and find forgiveness. It's a famous uh, theologian, his name is Merslav Volv, who addresses this thesis that many struggle with the idea that God judges. He said that is a very naive view, and only in history and philosophy has only been a short period of time where people had the luxury of even thinking that God shouldn't judge. He says, that is not a common belief in all through history. Here's how he says it. This is a guy, by the way, who saw horrible violence as a Croatian in the Balkans. If God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end to violence, that God would not be worthy of worship. The only means of prohibiting all recourse to violence by ourselves is how are you going to keep yourself from being vengeful? The only way to stop that is to insist that proper violence is legitimate only when it comes from God. My thesis that the practice of nonviolence requires a belief in divine vengeance will be unpopular with many in the West. And here's a slam of us. But it takes the quiet of a suburban home to believe in God's refusal to judge. Because most of history and most of the world lives in a sun-soaked land, soaked in the blood of the innocent. That idea will die. 
and other pleasantries of the need of mind. That was he saying in most parts of the country, you call the police and they show up and they beat you and rape your family. You don't struggle with God judging. You're praying every night, God, why don't you judge quicker? Only in the insulated bubble of the Western world do we have the luxury of even thinking that there shouldn't be a God who judges. Now he goes on to say how the belief that God judges properly can free you from bitterness, free you from worry, free you from anger. Here's how he says it. The human impulse to make perpetrators of violence pay for their crimes is almost an overwhelming one. It cannot possibly be overcome with platitudes like, now don't you see that won't help anything? If you've seen your home burned down, your relatives killed and raped, such talk is laughable. It shows no concern for justice. Yet victims of violence are drawn to go far beyond justice into vengeance that says, you put out my eyes, I'll put out both of yours. They are pulled into an endless cycle of vengeance, of strikes and counterstrikes, nurtured and justified by the memory of wrongdoing. And his premise is, if you want to be free from that kind of anger when real horrible things have been done to you, the only way to do that is say, God, I'm going to entrust you to be the true judge. I can't be objective. I can't be honest, God. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to stop keeping counts. I'm going to stop keeping records, which is causing part of my anger. I'm going to let you be the judge. And when you give God the role of judge, the anger starts to lose its power because you're no longer playing the role of God. And part of the churning is coming to that recognition, that realization. There's the word I'm looking for. And notice how he does that. Even in his churning, he's beginning to transition to say, I'm so mad I want to be the judge and I want these terrible things to happen, but I'm going to let you handle it. And it's through that churning he comes to that honesty. Look at how many times he says, before the Lord. Let the sin of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. Okay, you handle it, I'm not. Let the sin of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. Let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them continue to be before the Lord, that he may be cut off. Now he says, listen, God, I'm telling you what I want to happen, and I hope you do this, because that's where my emotions are, but I'm going to mentally say, but it's before you. You take care of this. You're going to handle this properly. I'm transferring my anger. I'm transferring the, the role of record keeping from me to you. Now, for me, I have a journal. I don't use it real often. I use it when I get really stressed. And a couple of years ago, my wife and I have shared that she went through a really bad depression. And during that time, I was very distraught, not knowing how to handle it. I was angry at God for not helping. I was angry at the circumstance. And when you try and help somebody who is going through depression, what's difficult is it's like an invisible boxer who beats them up and then beats you up. I remember writing my journal, some pretty honest prayers. At night I would sit down in my journal and just be writing, I'm angry about this and I feel this way and it seems like this is going on and this seems unfair and I'm really ticked off and I want to handle it this way. And so I was just writing out. And boy, in the process, I'd write a sentence and say, wow, that's wrong and that's how I feel. And I'm letting that thought go around and around in my head all day and I'd circle it. I need to take that thought captive. I'd write down some more. I'm getting mad about this and this happened today. Oh, wow, look at that lie that's in there. Well, my wife uh, read the journal uh, a few days later. I don't recommend this, by the way. You need a healthy place to process. She said, I was reading your journal. I can't believe you said this. I can't believe you felt this. I can't, this is like gossiping to God about me. I said, honey, I'm right now how I honestly feel because I know a lot of it's not true and not real. But I've got to get this gack out of me so it doesn't spill out on you or doesn't spill out on the kids. So I can not write it down or tear it up. I'm just telling you, for me, I need a healthy place to get real. So that by the time I come out of the journal, if you read the next page, you'd see I'd go, oh, well, that part's not true. And boy, I don't want to handle it that way. Oh, all right. Well, I said, don't read it. And I'll hide it if you need to. But 
I don't know what it looks like for you if it's a counselor or a journal, but you need a healthy place to burn and a healthy place to churn because if you deal with it in a good way, then it doesn't spill out. But you've got to get honest here so that it doesn't spill in unhealthy ways there. Burn and churn. Now, the next stage he offers is what I'm going to call the yearn stage. Now, the yearn stage is in a process of prayer. You begin to say, I'm mad, but you know what? I'm really, it's not just that I'm mad. It's really that I'm yearning for something better. I'm really disappointed, you, God, that you're not handling it this way. And that's when we move from the stage of, of the, the burn and the churn to the stage of yearn. And that's when I liken it to a dryer. You take the shirt... You take your sins, you take your circumstances, you take your feelings, you send them to throw this in the dryer. Whenever I think of a dryer, I think of a dryer cloth. It just smells good. It always reminds me of when you're sick. And right after you get sick, you go and you wash the, the clothes on your bed. You've been sitting in it for a couple of days. You just, you just, just feel sick in there. And it's like, you lay down like, oh, the bed is clean I am clean. I feel healthier just sitting in this thing. And that's what yearning prayers are. It's a way of just saying, God, I I, I am mad, but it's really, I want my marriage to be better. I want my kids to behave. I really wanted this career to work out. I really wanted that deal to work out. In the same way, sometimes that can be pretty honest and pretty angry and pretty loud. Because sometimes you're mad that God isn't giving you the yearnings of your heart. And you throw those yearnings in and... As you kick it on, it tumbles around. You're tumbling around with God in your prayer life. You're yearning with Him. What could happen? What should happen? What might have happened? What could be happening? Look again. This is exactly what happens in the psalm. He moves from burning to churning to now yearning. Because he didn't... The thing is, God, the reason I'm so mad why I want the bad things to happen to him is he didn't show mercy to me. I mean, that's what I really yearned for, that he would just have been kind back to me. I was kind and I was looking for a friend. But instead he persecuted the poor and the needy man. I, I wish we lived in a world that didn't have this kind of evil. That he might even slay the broken in heart. He loved cursing, so let it come to him. He did not delight in blessing. God, I wish we lived in a world where people didn't delight in hurting people. That's what I yearn for, God. What is wrong with this world? And when are you going to fix it? I yearn for a better world. He clothed himself with cursing as with his garment. Let it enter his body like water and like oil in his bones. Let it be to him like the garment which covers him and for a belt with which he girds himself continually. Let, let, let him have to wear the consequences. You know, I wish he could feel the consequences of what he does to other in his own life. That's what, I, that's what I yearn for. Let this be the Lord's reward to my accusers and to those who speak evil against my person. And my heart is wounded within me. Now, I don't think he would have got to that last statement had he not churned and yearned through it. He goes, oh, man, I'm ticked off, I'm frustrated. And then he goes, you know what I really am? I'm hurt. See, and this is a stereotype. This is just a stereotype based on the conversations I've had and we've had in pastoral counseling. Usually when I have a man or a woman in marriage counseling, which I don't do hardly anymore, but um, the women can usually identify hurt and the men can usually identify anger. And we demonize the anger and we sort of, you know, look at how mean you were that you made her hurt. But honestly, both people are hurting. And sometimes one person has active anger, somebody has passive-aggressive anger, but it's still anger. But I want to suggest to you that in the process of yearning, you actually figure out this last line. The reason I'm so mad is because I'm hurt, because I felt disrespected, I felt unappreciated. In fact, one of the tools I bring up about every six months is one I use in my own life all the time, and it's called the emotional cup. 
There's a very small part of our brain that holds emotions. I liken it to this cup. And God designed us to have needs, needs for appreciation, encouragement, affirmation, blessing, respect. And when you feel disrespected by a colleague, by an employee, by your spouse, you immediately have a sense of disappointment. You were hoping they were going to affirm you. They didn't. You were hoping they were going to listen to your idea. You didn't. So actually, for most guys, we jump right past it. But it happens for a second. We're actually wounded. We're disappointed. Hey, I was initiating to make love last night. You didn't want to. I'm mad, sure, but I was really disappointed. I wanted to connect. I just feel like it's been a long week. We haven't been together. I really had disappointment and hurt before I had anger. Then we quickly stacked the anger on. Hey, I was really hoping to have some comfort. I was sharing my idea, and instead of listening to me, you tried to solve it for me. And I know you didn't need to be, you didn't mean to be patronizing as if you'd been here, you could have fixed it. But that's how it came across. So I'm angry that you didn't listen. But I'm not really angry you didn't listen as much as I'm hurt that you, I couldn't share my heart. And what I really wanted was the need for you to connect with me through comfort. And through the process of journaling and prayer, I will often use this emotional cup and say, I'm filled with fear right now. What am I angry about? You see, if you feel like you need appreciation and you don't get it, and you get angry you don't get it, the next time it comes to share that same circumstance and you're hoping for appreciation again, you have the fear it's going to happen all over again. He's not going to listen. She's not going to want to make love. He's not going to appreciate me. He's not going to be a blessing. I'm not going to get the respect. And now it's an escalating amount of anger because now the fear and the anger, it's all building up and you've got to get to the root of it. You've got to take, you've got to get vulnerable. You've got to start yearning and say, What's, I'm really, I'm angry, but under my anger is disappointment and hurt by what he did, what she did, what didn't happen. God, what you didn't do. Sometimes I'm, I'm disappointed at God, and I've got to get under my anger to tell God I'm disappointed in Him. And it's in that process of yearning with God, I begin to discover things about myself. And in that process, freedom, the stain begins to be removed. The, the, the sweet smell of optimism and peace and love. And I start to realize that God loves me enough to let me be honest and throw my tantrums and be real with him and just tell him where I'm at. God, this probably isn't even right, but here's where I'm at. And that's when we get to the last stage, which I call the turn stage, where we turn it over to him. God, I don't understand it, but here's what I do know. You died for me on a cross, so it can't be you don't love me. You went through incredible pain for me. I don't get why you're not letting this happen or that happen. But God, you're my God, and I'm going to turn this over to you to be the judge. I'm going to let you, you're the only person who can be angry right. I really can't. So I'm going to hand this over to you. Look how he says it. But you, O Lord, the God, deal with me for your name's sake, because your mercy is good. It didn't feel it. If you listen to the first part of my prayer, maybe it didn't seem like it. But I do know, as I process through this, that your mercy is good. So I need you to deliver me. I am poor and needy. Man, I'm broken. My heart's wounded within me. I, I am gone like a shadow when it, when it lengthens. I mean, I look all tough, but you really get to the stuff I deal with. I'm like a shadow. I'm just like here and gone tomorrow. I'm shaken off like a locust. And this is a great prayer. Help me, O Lord my God. Save me according to your mercy, that they may know that this is your hand, that you, Lord, have done it. God, I need help. Andy Stanley is a pastor down in Atlanta. He wrote a book called It Came From Within. It's about dealing with anger. One day he walked into a Starbucks and he saw a guy sitting in one of the big overstuffed chairs. His name was Joe. And he just looked angry. See, everything about it said, don't even think about talking to me. Don't come over here. I've had a bad life. As Andy walked by, Joe looked at him and said, Are you the pastor of that church? 
Yes. I've got a couple of your CDs and tapes. Oh. I don't like God. I don't think God gets involved in our life. I've been an alcoholic. It spills his life story. I've been an alcoholic in my life. God's never helped me with anything. I've lost the things I really cared about and just ticked off at God. But I liked your tape. Got me thinking. He got connected to another guy. And they just started talking life together, creating an environment at lunch at Starbucks to talk. They began to get into the Bible together and just look at what God might be about. He happened to, Andy happened to stop into Starbucks a few months later, several months later, almost six months, and he saw Joe sitting in the same chair, but Joe's whole demeanor was different. He hadn't heard the story in between. He says, well, Joe, how are you doing? Joe says, I can't believe how my life has changed. I was so overwhelmed with anger. Did I tell you I'm getting remarried? No. Who to? He said, my ex-wife. I have been in the Bible. I've had a guy in my life who's helped me to, to sort of process this stuff I didn't know how to process in a really real way. It didn't seem like he was a shrink. It was just like a friend helping me think through how he can do better. And, and I got to know this Jesus and see that he forgave me and cares about me. And my wife, my ex-wife, because we still have to interact. That's the thing about divorce. You still have to interact with this person you hate began to see me change. And through the process, we decided to get remarried. Because I had a place that I could burn and churn and yearn. I was finally able to turn it over to God. And say, God, I don't want to struggle with the same things. I don't want to have to hide anymore. I want to get honest. I want you to cleanse me, and I want to turn this over to you. I want to give you a chance to do that. I invite the band to come up. I want you to go back to what we talked about at the beginning. We lose our tempers because we don't know our temperature. We don't know what we're mad about. We don't know what we're sad about. We don't know what we yearn for. We, we just aren't very aware of ourselves. We don't see our blast coming. I want you to pull out a little piece of cloth that we, we gave you as you came in or in your program. If you don't have one, you can imagine one. I want to encourage you to take your temperature for the next seven days. To use this in your house, in your home, in your car, just as a reminder. You don't have to. You can pray while you're driving. If you have time to worry, you have time to pray. Just instead of worrying, say, "Hey, God, I need help here." But I want to lead you through in the next few minutes as the band plays a process of burning, churning, yearning, and turning it over to God. So maybe you just want to put that in your hand. Maybe this represents something you came in today and you're mad about, or you're sad about. This is a circumstance that you think God should handle differently or He should have in the past handled differently. A son, a daughter, a spouse. Let's walk through the stages together. Let's pray. Holding that in your hand, you just want to tell God, let's burn a little bit. God, I am angry at you because... And tell Him. God, I think you should have done this. Or maybe it's future. God, I think you should do this. You should punish somebody, send a lightning bolt. You should have somebody's career fall off the page because of what they did to me. But tell God what you think he should do.
Now let's turn a little bit. Let's move beyond God to other people. God, I'm mad at somebody in my family right now because... Tell me who you're mad at. Son, daughter, cousin, mother-in-law, something said three Christmases ago. You're still mad about it. Tell them. Turn with them. Tell them what they did. Tell them the story in your mind as I stop. Tell them what they did and why that is so bothersome to you. I'm just thinking about that person right now. I just can't believe how unreasonable they are and still are for that matter. And I can't believe they still, this many years later, haven't come to their senses. Let's move to yearn. Tell God what you want. Start with what you want in relationships. What are you yearning for for your kids? What are you yearning for in your marriage? Maybe you want to say, God, I think I'm wounded here. That's why I keep telling the story. If you don't know, say, God, help me figure out where I'm hurt. If you do know, say, God, I need you to heal this hurt. Others of us, as you're holding on to that piece of cloth, you want to maybe open your hand and say, God, I'm going to let go of this hurt. Which moves us to our final stage with maybe your hand open and that cloth in it. Say, God, I'm going to hand this circumstance to you. I'm going to stop keeping a record of wrongs. I'm going to stop telling other people this story. I'm going to stop telling myself this story because I'm turning it over to you. Father, I ask each one of us that are getting honest with you right now that you would allow this to be a sampling of a process, that you would begin to wash us, cleanse us, that in the process of getting honest with you, we would find freedom, that we would find find freedom from anger, freedom from our instincts, freedom from our emotions. Not that our emotions are bad, but they don't need to control us. Wash us and speak to us. In Jesus' name. You know, behind all of our nice-looking clothes, there's a lot of hurts, there's a lot of pains, there's a lot of anger. And God wants to help us with it. So as you walk out today, we're going to give you a little piece of cloth. And you could just throw it away, and that'd be fine. Or what I'd encourage you to do is to take it and place it someplace so you can see it. Maybe it's by the mirror. Maybe it's in your car. So that every day as you see that, you're going to be reminded, i got to burn, i got to churn, i got to yearn, i got to turn. Or maybe it's just a reminder, hey, I turned that over to you, God. I picked it up again, but I'm going to turn it back to you. So just come out today, may this piece of cloth just be a reminder of the, the commitment you made, the decision you made, the prayers you made today to be washed in the word, to be washed in the water, what God wants to do. And, and the river of his grace is wide. Whatever you've done, whatever you're mad about, whatever happened to you, God is angry at the injustice of what happened to you as much as you are far more so. And he will right that wrong. 
And you can be frustrated he's not doing it yet. But know he wants to meet you and heal you as you walk through the pain together. Thank you for being here today. Let me close us in prayer, and we'll see you next week as we continue our series. Father, thank you just for the honesty of what's happened here today in this last hour. We just ask you continue to show us this discipline of being honest with you and how it continue to un- unravel us and untether us from our past and even from our emotions. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. We'll see you all next week.